Blog Talk Radio. Pagans Tonight Radio, the voice of the pagan world, featuring the man with all the questions that some don't want you to hear. Called the most dangerous person you will ever listen to, the ever-curious digital pioneer, Ed the Pagan. And welcome back. I've taken a little time off. As you know, I went across the United States, a 40-day trip uh, recently, and I'll be starting to share some of those uh, interviews I've done with people across the United States. And yes, you've heard it right. I'm getting ready to do it again, except this time I'm going to start across the United States again, but I'm going to go around the world. It's going to be more information coming up. But today I have Karen Dales, and her new, and she's going to be talking about her new anthology, Dreaming the Goddess. I did this interview right before Halloween, and uh, it's been sitting there, so I'm, I'm so excited to be sharing this with you today. And so let us get, get started and uh, watch it, Pagan World. Check everything out. Check out everything. Oh, one last note. I've started a Wish School for Beginners group on Facebook. Check it out. Uh, we're giving out information, and we'll be doing some stuff here on that. But, for, but now, Karen Dales. Hi, welcome back to Pagans Tonight Radio, and thank you for continuing to make us the voice of the pagan world. And I really do enjoy doing these type of shows. So we're starting off a new series uh, on authors, because everybody knows you want great books. And how do we know? Because in pagan world, the most common denominator of a conversation is, what books are you reading? And to quote the great Lady Phaedra Bonowitz, we don't have holy books, we have holy libraries. And today I'm talking with Karen Dales who is bringing out the book Dreaming the Goddess and is also editor and has lots of other skills in this world. I think it'll be a very fascinating conference station. Welcome, Karen. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to uh, be here. So we talk about being an author uh, and an editor and all that, but really one, because probably a lot of the audience doesn't know who you are, though you do a lot of great work up there in Canada, uh, our more friendly neighbor to the north. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes it must be like sometimes it must be like you have like having an upstairs apartment from a meth dealer. Uh, sorry, I said that she did send the negatives to me. I, I will say that was that would probably be true for four years, and I'm not going to mention those what those four fair years enough. were, but yeah, that was about right. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and so let me go ahead and say, what is the original story? How did you get to be the Karen Dales of today? You know, what is your comic book story, the, being the editor? and My writer? origin story. Well, a long time ago, my parents put me into a capsule and, just, and sent me off into, uh, into space. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm not Superman or Superwoman or anything like that. Um, the, so my... I basically always wanted to write ever since I was um, a, a kid. And I think the biggest thing for me was when I started reading a lot of science fiction and fantasy starting around uh, nine or 10 years old. And it really captured my imagination and really inspired me to write more and stuff. So. And so I always, I always wanted to do that. And through all my schooling and stuff, I went uh, really focused on uh, doing creative writing and really enjoying that. When I was in high school, I took creative writing course, uh, course 
there. Um, I was lucky enough that my school, my high school had that opportunity for me. And my, my high school creative writing teacher really believed in my abilities and thought I would actually be published. And she actually helped me tweak some work to try and uh, encourage me that way. Uh, in university, I went to York University and I was one of the first of the students into their creative writing program, which was a very difficult program to get into, even because you had to apply each year for it. And I went through all three years and I really enjoyed that. I learned a lot. And then life happens as it usually does, but it never stopped me from writing. And then in 2009, my first novel was published and uh, which is part part of the uh, series of four novels at this point. And through the process of having my book published um, and a whole bunch of other happenstances that came along with it, I ended up becoming the managing editor for the publishing house because it's a small publishing house here in Toronto and um, started publishing other authors uh, with uh, Dark Dragon Publishing here in Toronto. And it's, it's small, but it's really good. Um, we have a lot of uh, great writers with us, but for my own books, I've always put in a pagan bent in it because when I was about 16, I was introduced to Wicca and witchcraft. And books back then were really hard to find. Uh, we were lucky here in Toronto that there was the occult shop, which was the only place where you could find any books on Wiccan witchcraft and paganism. And so I basically bought whatever they had, which wasn't a lot back then, and kind of went from there. And uh, so my two major loves in life, not counting my family and my cats, are... Um, practicing paganism and uh, writing and reading and editing. And so that brings us to Dreaming the Goddess, which is coming out this Samhain or New Year's Day or October 31st for others. Um, That would Mm -hmm. be very exciting. Talk to to us about that. Yeah, so I I never thought that I would end up uh, editing and managing for an anthology, but my publisher was like, when we went to me and went, hey, Karen, we we really like the idea of anthologies. They tend to sell a bit more than um, novels, I guess, because more people have less time to sit and read due to life's craziness and stuff that I guess that was pre-pandemic. And so they asked me to uh, come up with an idea for an anthology and I was like going, okay so what can I do what can I do what can I do and I'm like going, you know what and and then I looked over in my my uh, library my sacred library and I realized that so many books about paganism and witchcraft and Wicca are all nonfiction. finding fiction that is geared towards us is very difficult. Uh, there are many, many authors out there who are pagan, who are Wiccan, who are witches, who do write fiction and might put some of that 
influence into their books, but nothing that's specific for us. So I went, you know what? Let's have an anthology of fiction that's geared to pagans and witches and Wiccans. And I came up with uh, Dreaming the Goddess. And it's an anthology of many different short stories that highlight different goddesses in a fictional way um, from all over the world. So we have stories that represent goddesses from um, from the ancient from the Near East. So from Sumeria, we have uh, we have. Egyptian, we have Lithuanian, we have uh, African, we have um, you know, your Celtic, North, and then we have influences within North America and the like. So lots of different stories from lots of different places to kind of have a kernel of truth of that goddess, but in a newer, more modern um, setting. So it's almost like new mythology for these goddesses. And I thought this would be a really cool idea. And uh, we got so many amazing stories submitted to us. And I wish I could have had more. I think we lost you there for a second. I have lost your sound. Space within the uh, anthology to have them all. And I thought, Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. You're so back. The, yeah. Hmm. You're back. Okay. Weird. Okay. So the anthology is a mythological, a modern mythological or settings for all for different goddesses, and I thought this would be a really cool way of fictionalizing goddesses but at the same time giving people a taste of who these goddesses are so rather than just saying uh, this is what this goddess is about so forth and so on this is how you worship her and this is how you and here's a ritual for her or whatever this is dreaming the goddess has fictional stories that show you who the, those goddesses are so it's almost like having new mythology for these goddesses. Uh, we were very lucky to get Rosemary Edgehill, uh, who agreed to write a new Bast story for it. For those of you who don't know, Bast, uh, her, uh, it's a bell book and uh, murder. Uh, Rosemary Edgehill is a pagan author who's worked with, who's New York Times bestselling author. She has many books. She worked with uh, Mercedes Lackey and Andre Norton. And uh, um, so when I asked her if she'd be interested in writing a story for this anthology, we were lucky that she said yes. And so she dusted off Bast. Um, for anybody who's not read her, series, her trilogy, it's absolutely fantastic. And she wrote a new story for it uh, with those characters for the anthology, which is amazing, which is a lot of fun. It sounds like so it. I really mean, so good. So that's out in you, at Samhain. So it means it's time for you to give it out as your gift. Like I said, there's, yes. nothing, there's nothing better to give a pagan than a book. I, I, you know, we talk about other things. You know, you might be able to give them candles or maybe give them incense. But at the end of the day, books are, are, books is the thing. 
Um, exactly. So let yeah. me go ahead and just, just a little bit. So this is this you know the. Uh, the problem of the world religious just happened uh, for the eighth season. It was a virtual, but you really were very much a participant in the one in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, I, I think that's still an important story. Can you talk a little bit about your adventures with that? Oh my goodness. So um, <clears throat> Catherine Starr, who, uh, who, if anybody knows anything about the Parliament mm-hmm. of World Religions, knows that she's very, does she work her butt off to make the uh, make it work really well, and for the parliament in 2018, she really went way and above. And so she was looking for Toronto pagans to help out with it. And so I, we talked, and I said, "Well, what what can I do to help?" And because my husband and I have been running the <clears throat> Toronto pagan uh, Toronto pagan pub moot here for uh, well, it's now been almost 26 years she asked if would be interested in helping out with some sort of group and I said well what do you have in mind and she said well what about this and I said well if we get the space for a meet and greet space I'd be happy to run it and organize it and get things going for that and so she let me do that and it was a great space Um, everybody had to walk by us to get anywhere, which was fantastic, and which which allowed so many people of many different religions to see us, so see us and ask questions. But it kind of became the um, clubhouse it did. for all the pagans. It really did. It kind of it's like, hey, I'm gonna meet. You want to get meet up for dinner? Sure. Let's. Where do you want to meet? Oh, let's meet up at the meet, pagan meet and greet. Okay, sure. Let's go there. Oh, we're, we're tired of walking around. Well, what do you want to do? Let's go just hang out at the pagan meet and greet. And it was like having, for me, it was like having a pub moot that lasted seven whole days. And, it was great. And yeah, it was great. And if anyone sees the videos from that period of time, um, I took a number of, I did a number, it turned into a couple of our studios a little bit too. So if you want to take back, you know, you can take a look at the uh, Pagan uh, Parliament World Religions 2018 videos on Magic TV to see some of those that came out of that clubhouse of sorts. Um, but uh, so and getting back here, so, you know, I do know that in Toronto, I know that everywhere has been hit by COVID, but you guys had a really interesting, because we came in the middle of October and um, I'm wondering, because you had like a month long, what was called Witch Fest North? Yeah, so Witch Fest North is uh, run by a lady named Monica, and mm-hmm. uh, it's every, usually when pre-COVID, uh, every evening there would be something going on, or every day there would be art exhibits, she she works her butt off to make that happen, so there's like a, usually a, some sort of dance, rituals, art exhibits, all sorts of different things that she puts on throughout the city. Uh, to attract attention and education and f- a lot of fun as well for uh, people who live in the greater Toronto area and Toronto itself. So is Toronto a pagan-friendly city? Would you say it was? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, between the work of, uh, between the work of Richard and Tamara James in the um, 80s and 90s, and to get Wicca and paganism more recognized, um, 
because, and I think also because Toronto is the most multicultural city in the world, we have a lot of acceptance of many different cultures and religions here. So we don't really see a lot of issues about pagans getting discriminated against here anymore. Gotcha. Maybe early 980s and the like, but generally um, it's well received. So that's, a, so that's a place once this uh, code list is, uh, it is, um, as you're listening to this, I'm going across the country as people will soon find out. Um, I'm, you know, so I'll be in Denver on Samhain Day in just a couple of days. And uh, I want to get about, once they list some more of the restrictions, I want to get it back into Toronto to, uh, to visit. Um, as we begin these adventures across America, uh, I, I really do enjoy, and the Americas. And I, I use it, there's not, the United States is not only America. There is a few other, there's a few other countries that are America too. Um, I do think that, that sometimes it's very difficult. So uh, with Dreaming the Goddess, it sounds like you've got uh, a lot of different people from different, different backgrounds of the goddess. Well, what's really interesting is because the uh, call for submissions went out to many different, like, through the internet and the like, and it hits more, and those were hitting more of the, where writers come from, like, where generally a lot of writers uh, go to find um, mm-hmm. submission guidelines for even books and and, and anthologies. Uh, we have a number of people in the anthology who are who are pagan, and many who are not, which is quite interesting in my perspective because I was not expecting that. Uh, one of my writing friends, uh, Ira Naiman, uh, he is definitely not pagan, and he wrote this amazing uh, triptych of the goddess. Uh, basing it off of the maid, mother, and crone concept. And it's absolutely brilliant. Um, So it's called Goddess Given Advice, a triptych. And it's written in the style of his his series of books, which are not pagan-related, very science fiction. And uh, um, it's, it's pretty awesome in how he he tends to look at it he's a humor writer so it's it's a funny it's a humorous story which i really like and then um there's also uh robin roland's story called mother of stars which is so dense in its information put placed in um a fictional setting but i don't believe he himself is pagan uh, he's also a Canadian author. He's in British Columbia. And when I received his stor- story, I mean, it's like really, really great. Uh, and I was like, like, so it's like not, you don't have to be pagan to write really good stories. 
surprising to me is that as I have my, the list of authors in front of me on my computer, I'm like looking at them, I'm like, how many of them are Canadian? I didn't accidentally choose more Canadian authors. It just kind of happened that way. We had some American authors and some um, British authors as well. And so of the, of the authors of this, um, of the anthology, I can tell you one, two, three, Maybe yes. half the authors, maybe half, maybe a little bit more than half of the authors are pagan. The rest mm-hmm. of them are not, so which this, is great. This is a pretty broad case. So let's get, let me go ahead and ask for this. For people who are, um, I, I, we have a lot of people who are new to paganism, new to Wicca that listen to my show. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful for the revival that, you know, you always worry when you start to get back onto the saddle of doing something that, you know, am I antique? Am I too old? Am I going to exact? <laughs> And I've been very grateful for the audience while we did the emerging leadership thing. So we've had a really good time. What would be advice you would give to, to, and that's not younger people, just anybody who really wants to write and get into it? Because you're also an editor. So I know yeah. a good editor is a precious thing. Um, I know to me, I suffer from PSTD from, from my experiences with editors all too often. I joke. I joke. I'm oh, not. No. I, I do not mean that against people who really have it, but it is, it is a very traumatic experience for me to deal with editors. It's, it's really dull. It's, it's probably the single most difficult thing I've ever had to do uh, to the yeah. point where I, I shy away from it. Um, yeah. But, yeah. It's a, but editors are very important. But, but how do they get started writing? And, and, and especially the idea that they may have to deal with editors or ways to improve their writing. Well, so a good editor will always be someone who works with you to uh, to bring out your best writing ability. Uh, one of the first things, whenever I do, whenever I get in a book or a short story that I have to edit, the first round of edits is always the comprehensive or the substantive edits, where I basically have to tear the whole thing apart and go and go through it with a fine tooth comb. And I, I can see what you mean about the whole PDSD because it's like, yeah, your, your story, you know, this needs to be fixed, this needs to be fixed, you need to look at this, no, this is wrong, blah, 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 and go through everything. And it's like, oh no, you need to do that and do this. And, and oh, and by the way, you need to get rid of that. Oh, by the way, you know that character that's redundant, you need to get rid of that character, rewrite the whole story to get rid of that character and stuff like that. So yeah, I can understand the PDSD part of it. I mean, I've been on the other end of it too going, you want me to do what with my story? And then it's like, no. So I, I understand the horror of receiving those first, especially those first round of edits. Um, because it's traumatic. You have this little baby going, oh, it's so perfect. And then somebody goes, nope, 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 nope. Baby's not perfect yet. We got to do all this to the baby. And it's, and it's very difficult. So I always tell my authors that when I when I send them, the, especially the first round of edits with, that are a lot of work, um, to read what I've said, walk away, go for a walk, have a stiff drink, relax, back at after a day or so and take a look at it without the emotional response. Um, and I always say, listen, I wouldn't be editing your story if I didn't really like it and see a lot of merit in it. So um, I try to couch that thing 
to help the, the author. And my job as an editor is to, as I said, to really help an author shine in their work, to be that objective person to say this is working or this is not working, and how can we make sure it works? And here are mm -hmm. some suggestions. An editor's job is not, oh, hello? Oh, you went away for a second. Uh, an editor's job is not to rewrite the person's work. And a lot of people are afraid that that's the case, but that's not what an editor's job is. Their job is not to um, take your work and rewrite portions of it and stuff like that. I will make suggestions of what could be said or how things should possibly be said, but uh, um, or what needs to be worked on or whatever, but I do not write. For that person because then I am changing that writer's voice into my voice and that's not what my job is. Um, that's very interesting because I do think people are hiring uh, writers. Um, as you know, people have known that I've taken a stand against the term self-published. Um, I now mm -hmm. see there's it, nobody's self-published. They're either published or they're not. Mm -hmm. And with the now a lot of authors bypassing publishing houses and going direct to consumer, uh, that's what it is now. It's not self-published. It's direct-to-consumer writing. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people argue against because they don't tend to get these editing into it. Um, I know Ellen Dugan has, has a whole team because she's a, probably one of the most successful direct-to-consumers. Um, she talks about that adventure. But she, she has like three or four editors that actually works with her. She has a continuity editor. You know, she has mm -hmm. the first draft editor. Then she has a character editor. Then she has her yep. final editor, and she talks about this quite openly. And she brings out yeah. really quality books that she makes more money on because she's doing a direct-to-consumer process. Exactly. Um, yeah. Do you see this direct-to-consumer process, as I'm saying, um, either going through like an Amazon publisher or Lulu as the as not as the gatekeeper of your books, just you, this is a book you want to sell, we'll sell it for you regardless if it's good or bad. There's no – that removal of gatekeeper. And do you think publishing houses still have a purpose? In this sort of oh, absolutely, absolutely, because um, not everybody has the money to pay for editors. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has. So let, let's put it this way. Okay, a publishing house is the one that does that does your all your editing and helps you do some basic marketing, not as much as they used to. Even the large publishing houses, um, they don't have the same type of money anymore to... Uh, do what they used to do um but so even this like uh, the small independent publishing houses like i like i work for um not everybody has the money to pay for the editors not uh, not everybody has the money to pay for the cover designers and the artists for the artwork for the cover not everybody has the money for the book block designer and the EPUB, uh, the EPUB designer as well. So when you don't have the um, support of people who will either do those things for free, and editors don't generally work for free, especially and artists, why should they? Uh, so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the publishing houses have really taken off. I've noticed that over the, especially over the last ten years, that they've really taken off um, because it allows for people to publish without having to go through the 
the whole process with the large publishing houses. Um, and those small publishing houses use Amazon, use uh, Ingram Spark, use Lulu, use these other platforms as well that individuals who just want to do it themselves is fine. My experience in dealing with people who um, publish themselves without is that they because they don't understand the editing process they can tend to put out stuff that is clearly in need of editing and they might not know the process or they might not understand how editing is so important to their works and the like so they don't they think that editing is just copy editing when that's the last thing that we look at it really is so they will tend to put out books and no matter how well you market your book if your book is full of mistakes not just continuity character like all the different levels uh, that could happen uh, it's going to throw readers off and you won't and people and the readers are like going to go oh why am I reading this this is horrible and then you get bad reviews um, and it, it'll be based upon how the the construction of the story and how it's presented in terms of literary standards so for people who have a book that they want to publish on their own um, picking if they're writing fiction pick up the Chicago manual of style and see what the standards are in terms of how your book should be or your story should be if you're writing as uh, nonfiction there's a similar book that you use for that because the style is different for nonfiction than it is for fiction um, there was one time I was getting a book to read to get a quote for and I couldn't read past a certain point because the immense amount of errors in it and it was a person who was hoping to get uh, to you know direct to market books and I said listen there's I, I couldn't read past this point because the the edit the amount of et errors in it will stop me from enjoying it and unfortunately, because I am an editor and a writer, I notice these things a lot more than, say, just a, a regular person uh, who's never done that job. It's kind of like a musician or a producer listening to other people's music and going, oh, they, I see that they could have fixed that or they could have fixed that, that sort of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So when I read, even though if I'm reading for fun, I'll still be cognizant of any errors that I come across. And see, this is why people don't understand why. 30 years I've been on radio and podcasting. And uh, the three books I've published, one is a terrible Discordian manual, which you still can get for free online. Oh, it's an unedited Discordian manual, so it's a stream of thought. <laughs> uh, your Voice, which uh, Your Voice is a Problem, which is a collection, and the Anthology Comic Book, which is scratch. You have yet to see a full book from me because uh, of this process is so much more daunting, and people have laughed at because people get, uh, writers have gotten mad at me. I've been offered five or six, six, I think is the last count, uh, author's contracts um, over my years, uh, you know, for various purposes. Uh, mm -hmm. Secret Art of Witch Wars was the last one. Um, 
you know, these were unsolicited. They go, I worked all my life to get it all the, yeah. So they get mad at me for that. And like, no, I'm not a writer in that aspect of it. And then he says, oh, anyone can be a writer. That is absolute BS. Nobody, not everybody can be a writer. Uh, it's hard. It's hard work. Everybody can write. Everybody can write, but not everybody is, is cut out to be a writer. But if you do feel yeah. that movement, a good editor and one that is more gentle than the ones I've ran into. I don't know. I just, I find a lot of editing and I'm, I'm going to say it are like Catholic nuns. They love to wrap you on the knuckles. They love, they have, I have yet to meet an editor that didn't like to wrap you on the knuckles. I don't uh, like doing that. I feel bad. I don't want to hurt my author's feelings. That's me. It's like, I always like sending the letters like I, before you open it, please, please understand. I really like your story. Uh, this is not me being mean. I hate being mean. So I always say, it's like, I always, always, always make sure that they understand that I'm not doing this to be mean. I'm not trying to hurt their feelings. I just want them to well, they, 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 be better. And that's good because even though they claim, the, the ones I've, I've worked with claim they don't want to do that, I, I, I think I, I, there is that. But there is a cruelty in art. I mean, I, I, let me go ahead and say there is a cruelty in good art. I mean, you suffer for it. And um, if you can't get past what would be the judgment of others, the idea that you might not be perfect, you not, might not be, you know, you know, everything may not be correct, right? That you just have to put out your art as is. Sometimes you just take a stab at it. Um, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, at some point you have to let go. And, and the reality here is no matter what type of art you're doing, whether it be music, visual, or written, mm-hmm. you're, there's always going to be some mistakes that get by people and by your editors and stuff. I, <clears throat> this is reminding me, and I, it, like, I also teach creative writing for the city of Toronto at, at community centers. And I use this story to kind of show that editing is not, um, perfect. So a friend of mine is published with a large publishing house mm-hmm. and she, she and her husband came over for dinner one night and we were talking. I was reading one of her books and I'm like, going, <clears throat> and I went to her and I said, so who is this character that just popped up like this, this name of this character popped up in the middle of her, of the story. And I was confused with this character because I'd never seen this character before. And I looked back and it's like, okay, look, flipping back. And like, was this character introduced? What happened? Where's this person? Then I looked, kept on reading further. I'm like, Oh, they got the name wrong once. <clears throat> it was supposed to be one name, but it, um, but it was a different name. And so I mentioned this to my author friend and she just threw up her hands. She says, I don't know how it got past everybody. It got past her general, uh, she got, it got past her managing editor, one of the main editors for the publishing house. Uh, it got past her a million times. It got past all the other levels of editors for the, because they have that. And, and it got printed. And so these things happen because editors are human and we don't necessarily catch every single little thing. I mean, I even see that in the modern publishing, modern published books now that I do see what mistakes in terms of, of um, mostly copy editing issues. Um, So grammar and or spelling. And, but all I can say is as an editor and as an author that sometimes these things get past 
everybody because we work on the thing so much that we tend to not pay attention as much as we did on the first round of edits Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we don't tend to read every single word when we are reading and uh, because we because of the way our brains work so after we've gone through a manuscript a couple of times it's like oh we're not even looking at that anymore oh what we missed this oh the name got changed oh no what are we going to do and sometimes publishing houses send the wrong uh, file to the printer uh the story of forget which book it was of robert silverberg's um where they they sent the unedited ga- the unedited ma- manuscript to the publishing house. Sorry, not the publishing house, to the printer. The printer pr- printed off at that time 3,000 copies for science fiction for a first run. It's usually considered normal even today. And so 3,000 of these unedited manuscripts got published. Uh, and they ended up, when it got realized what happened, they pulled all the books as many of them they could that hadn't been sold, but about a hundred, about half of the, the lot got sold. Um, they offered that the people who bought those books could trade them in for the new properly edited oh, wow. version. But Robert Silverberg says, you know, it's like, why should he be, he, he, he wasn't upset or anything about this. It was all, it's like, those will become uh, collector's items. And that's exactly what they did. Oh, absolutely. Became, those 1500 books got uh, became collector's items, and if you ever find one, you hold on to them because they're really expensive uh, nowadays. So sometimes it works into your advantage, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, re- uh, it really depends on who's reading, but um, yeah, so sometimes little mistakes get by, and that's okay too, because we're all human. And people forget that editors are also human, and a lot of the times, editors are author- also authors. Right, right. I guess so. I guess that's true. No, anytime you get a misprint book or any of that stuff, never turn it back in. You know, they, they recall a toy. I tell because I'm a massive, I've been a massive collector sales all my life. People don't start, know that I started my original wood school. I was financed completely off my eBay accounts. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Yay for eBay. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was early on. I was a gold seller. I don't do eBay anymore now because it's changed. And there's lots more options, but today it was like a lifesaver. It, it finally let me quit my job, and and I was going to secondhand stores before everybody realized that secondhand stores were full of collectibles. And I've always learned that you know if they say, oh, we're recalling this toy because it's dangerous, or we're you know this is a misprint, or the the author required you know plagiarized something and they have to recall, never ever turn those in. Just sit on them, put them in your closet, and wait because they are going to become valuable. Um, exactly. But so, exactly. so, uh, so one of the last questions I have, and this one's a different one. So what are you obsessed with now? Is there anything that you have, like, that you're doing a lot of or you're obsessed with or really like? Music, food, you know, things <laughs> of that nature. Um, so I spin, I spin yarn both figuratively and literally. Wow. <laughs> so I spin yarn in terms of writing stories and editing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. editing but I also am a fiber artist so I have two spinning wheels and I love spinning and um, I knit and crochet and uh, I love doing that so when I spend time with my family like in the evenings if we're watching television Netflix whatever 
uh, we don't have TV anymore. It's just Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever. That's um, TV. That's now that's yeah. TV for today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll just sit with my spinning wheel and spin yarn or I'll knit or I'll crochet or I'll like bounce between all three or whatever while I'm while I'm there. Whenever we go somewhere for that, I know that I'll be there for a while or I might have to wait some time. I'll bring a little project with me so I can usually a pair of socks that I'll sit and knit while we're all talking and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, so I like, so that's my other thing that I really enjoy doing as well. And uh, this weekend, uh, I'm looking forward to going with a couple of friends to a big fiber festival I haven't been able to go to because of COVID. So they're opening up this weekend for the big festival and I'm so excited but I'm so excited I know it's really silly it's like yeah I'm looking forward to playing with all the the fiber in the yard and it's like I know it's, it's like I guess that is an obsession it's not silly I think that if people understood how abundant our society is they would understand the, the value of these things so oh, yeah. So how would people get the Dreaming the Goddess or contact you or find out more about what you're doing? So it'll be available on Amazon first, and then it'll be distributed through Ingram and Baker Taylor and a few other uh, distributors. Um, but first it'll hit Amazon because I know most people uh, buy off of Amazon, despite the fact that Amazon gets a bad rap and, rightfully so in terms of its business practices towards its employees, but it's a great platform for selling books and other items. So that it'll go there and then it'll eventually get to um, Barnes and Nobles and many other bookstores all across the world. And you can also, uh, so you can probably ask your local bookseller to order it for you. Uh, yeah, you'll be able to do that. Or you can just order it online and do it that way as well. I know most people have gotten into the habit of ordering things online because of the pandemic. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, they'll be able to order it online from their uh, favorite bookseller as well. Um, and there will also be an e-book e available for it as well that will get disseminated through um, Amazon and Smashwords. Um I think that will come short, a little about a week after that, after the uh, print book is out. Um, print books always make more money than than the uh, e-books, and then hopefully, then we'll go from there. I'm hoping to do a companion book for that called Dreaming the God, and it will really depend on how well Dreaming the Goddess does, and we'll know within by the by Yule whether or not the Dreaming the God will be able to get green-lighted, so we'll be able to do a similar companion book for that in terms of fiction. And uh, Dark Dragon Publishing, because of my influence as the managing editor, we're going to be doing a lot more fiction for pagans. Where Llewellyn fills the need for non-fiction books about paganism and Wicca and heathenry and all that wonderful stuff, um, there's no publishing house that does fiction books for us. And so we're starting to look at doing that is mm -hmm. having books that are geared towards pagans. Um, we do mo right now, most of the books that we have with, with Dark Dragon Publishing 
are either uh, written by pagans and definitely have a pagan bent to them. I'm currently editing a the second book in a trilogy by Stephen B. Pearl. He himself is pagan. And uh, this one is called Revenant. So his first book with us is, uh, is um, New Kekabe. And this one's called Revenant. And they all center around a, um, a pagan, a wizard, specifically a wizard. Mm -hmm. And um, a modern day wizard in a modern day setting. And uh, so his books are definitely geared that way for Wiccans and Pagans. Um, and then we, I'm also editing another book, the last book called The Black Door by Tyner uh, Gillies. And though that's more of a police procedural type of series of books mm -hmm. because he himself is RCMP, uh, there's definitely, there's a main character, a couple main characters in there that are witches. But in a positive, in a positive setting, not in a negative setting or anything like that. So we're we're going to be shifting the focus a little bit towards more of uh, uh, books, fictional books and fictional content for pagans and Wiccans and witches and wizards and heathens and everybody who worships old gods and stuff like that, because there really isn't much out there for us. Terrific. So the question I ask all my guests is that, you know, uh, and, and in closing, so if you can give advice to your 15-year-old self and the other 15-year-olds out there in the world today, um, mm -hmm. what advice would that be? My, to, to speak to me or to general 15-year-old me or to 15-year-olds in general? Yeah, I think, the, I think the answer is one and the same. I mean, I think that a lot of the advice would give you uh, to others. Yeah. Um, for, if I was going back in time to tell my 15 year old self yes. or anybody, I would say, follow your bliss. Uh, I know at 15 years old, it's really hard to figure out what you want to do in your life. Um, I mean, I have a 17 year old now, so I see what it's like for those kids. And a lot of the kids just have no clue what they want to do or want to be, but my my idea is if there's something that you really really love doing in your in your non-scholastic life or if there is something in school that really really gets you going and wants you to talk about and you're wants you to uh, drives you to look more into it and educate yourself more into it go for it because we need more artists and, and frankly our world needs more artists to be recognized um, and I think if there's something that you really love doing follow it follow your bliss and uh, even if you end up having to do it as a on the side because you have to have an eBay account to uh, run your own witch school <laughs> and finance it that way then do it because it's the end result that's the most important thing you know you can work you work can work the crappy job but you can still write that amazing book because that's what makes you happy it's just that the job thing is what pays for you to do what you really enjoy doing but if you can do both that's even better i think that's great advice I want to thank uh, Karen Dales and uh, By Dreaming the Goddess and any book that you see with her name on it out there. 
There's other ones out there. We'll talk about another time. We'll have Karen back on because I, I have a lot of questions about other aspects of her life, especially sure. fiber art. I mean, I think that's becoming very popular these days. Oh, yeah. And, and doing more of that stuff. But I want to thank you for, for coming on today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I look forward to coming back on to your show again, Ed. And with that, we're going and to It's go really out. great to see you because it's been, it's been too long since... So, so the first time we met was at the Parliament in 2018. It's so nice to be able to talk with you again. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, well, I, I like being talked with. And uh, with that, we're going to be right back with these messages um, on Pagan's Tonight. Remember, you're listening to Pagan's Tonight, the voice of the Pagan world. <laughs> and uh, we continue on. And this is where you could insert your sponsorship uh, to uh, Pagan's Tonight Radio. So we add at or check out paganworld.ning.com we're going to be doing a lot more of this and thank you for joining me tonight and have a great one